Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you to the Coach's Drive podcast. My name is Jonathan White, and I coach at North Myrtle Beach High School here in South Carolina, and I'm here with my friend Chad Wilkes, who is the head coach at Lamar High School. Chad, what are you hoping that this podcast can be for these guys? I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you have some kind of boilerplate thing that you want to read out about what this podcast is, but for me, it's going to be as simple as helping coaches be better coaches without putting them to sleep on their drive to or from work. So we're going to talk a lot about football, and we'll talk about some scheme and things like that. We're also going to hit really heavily on culture and the things that we think matter more than anything else. And I'll also hopefully have a lot of stories because I know football coaches in the big network that we have, a lot of things we like to do is sit down and talk about players and games and things like that. So hopefully it'll be entertaining and make you a better coach all at the same time. It's hard to believe, but we got Kyle Richardson to be our first guest. That was a blast talking to him. If you don't know about Coach Richardson, he was the head coach at Northwestern High School in Rock Hill. He won three state championships there. He's at Clemson now, won two national championships there. He was an awesome guest to have. Chad, what's a couple of things you took away from our conversation with him? I think that he told a lot of really cool stories about having to play clowny. He talked a little bit about what makes Trevor Lawrence so great, what makes the Clemson program so great, how they've gotten that thing turned around. And he also gave us some good tips on how to build a winning culture and things like that at the high school level too. Another thing I really liked was his three keys to advancing as a coach. Because as a young coach like myself and you, we want to make the best out of our careers. And I think Coach Richardson did a great job of showing us what are the steps to take to get to that next level as a coach. Because if anybody would know that, it'd be him because he went from the high school level to the highest level in college as a national championship coach now at Clemson. But before we bring him on, I want to read a little bit of a bio about some of his accomplishments. He's had an 18-year football coaching career. 12 at the high school level, and 7 in college. He's a three-time state champion at Northwestern High School in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Two-time national champion at Clemson. 2013 Nike Coach of the Year. The 2014 Carolina Panthers Coach of the Year. 2015 South Carolina Coach of the Year. He was recently inducted into the York County Hall of Fame. He created and implemented an academic and character plan at Northwestern called Win Today. It gained national attention and recognition. He went all over the country speaking about it at teacher conferences, clinics, business conferences, and even at the Nike headquarters in Oregon. And right now he is a senior offensive assistant at Clemson going on his fourth year. So we're excited to bring on Kyle Richardson. Coach Richardson, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be with y'all. Yes, sir. All right, Coach, we wanted to ask you starting off with, why did you start coaching football? I know you played at South Point, right, in high school? Right, yep. And it's a super successful place. What was the foundation and the reason that you started coaching football? Yeah, I went to a South Point High School in Belmont, North Carolina, a really small town. Still to this day, it's kind of that varsity blues type town. Everything shuts down, and it's all about South Point football. So growing up, what you wanted to do and be a part of and – and then when you get out of it, like a lot of programs, same same type of programs y'all been a part of, you miss it so much. And you're like, man, I got to have that feeling. And you miss that feeling and those Friday nights. And I went into college at Appalachian State thinking I was, you know, wanting to be a lawyer and went through that whole process and got a history degree and, and was on my way to law school. And I had one semester left of school. So I ended up student teaching. I had a minor in education, so I student taught, and I thought, you know, I'll coach football while I'm student teaching, and I don't know if that was a mistake or not because I caught the bug while I was coaching for that one time just to kind of kill some time during student teaching, and after that, I said, you know, I'm not going to go to law school, and I'm going to go straight into 
coaching football and I kind of changed my path. Luckily, you know, I had that history degree and, and I had a minor in education. So I was able to go straight into teaching and coaching straight from college, which was pretty good. So I just wanted to be a part of something that I'd always been a part of my whole life. Sports has always been what I did and just ended up wanting to keep it going. Once, like I said, once I did that first round of coaching, I was like, this is what I want to do for my career. Chad, that's pretty crazy because that's exactly what you did, isn't it? That is literally like my exact story. Like yeah. last semester of college, I went to a football game on Friday night. I was going to go to law school. I'd only majored in history, everything, and I went to a football game after because I played in college to begin with, and then I transferred to Clemson just to finish my degree up. And yeah, went to a Wade Hampton High School football game on a Friday night where Jonathan yeah. was student teaching, and I just... I was like, golly, I just, this is what I have to do. (laughs) So it was crazy. This is exactly what my story was. So coach, I mean, I think everybody in South Carolina knows you were at Northwestern. You won three state championships there. And I remember I went to state and watched y'all play and you just had a dominant performance. And I believe that was when y'all played Lexington. Y'all played Lexington in state. What year was that? 15, 2015. And I remembered I was really impressed with what y'all did. And one of the big questions I think a lot of coaches have when you – are so successful what did you do to keep your players every year hungry how did you keep your guys from saying man we're northwestern we're going to run to the state championship every year nobody's going to stop us how do you play that game with your high school kids and keep them hungry every year yeah we did a good job of one our culture that we had developed and just built there around this you know i kind of installed it win today program that we put in and And that really helped us because it really did keep their focus on what we were doing daily. And and a lot of that had to do with off the field stuff when, when I created that win today program, but it also overlapped into the field and what we were doing successfully on the field. So that, I would say that was a big part of it. All our coaches were behind it. Anybody that touched our football program knew what the, what the philosophy was and that really helped us. And, and honestly being in the city of Rock Hill, where you had South Point down the street, you had Rock Hill High down the street, and, and especially with South Point and at the level that they were playing at and played out even after left and went to Clemson, it was real easy to understand that. We just got to keep rolling. We got to keep going because if not, don't worry about what the rest of the state's going to do. You're going to get embarrassed in your own city five miles down the road. So it was really easy to keep them grounded and keep them going in, in the same direction that we needed to go into every year. But I will say this, you know, we enjoyed the wins and we enjoyed the championships. But when that second semester started, all that stuff that we had just done, none of that was going to take us into the next year. Those touchdowns didn't count for the touchdowns that we scored in 2013. I think we scored 62 points in the state championship. And I remember point blank having my first team meeting January 2nd or 3rd and going, hey, Everybody that scored those 62 points, none of y'all are in the room right now. So none of those 62 points get counted toward this year or the sacks that we had with those guys. I mean, we had a great defense in, in 13, and you were constantly just turning the page to where, hey, those memories are great. We're going to celebrate that. I always told them, I said, hey, we're going to come back 10 years, 15, 20 years, and these are great memories but we've got to go make more and we've got to go take the next step. So that was kind of that win today mentality, I'd say, was the biggest. And then just living in the city of Rock Hill with, with the teams around us that had the success, it was easy to keep us grounded. 
Now, for you, I've heard you talk at a clinic before, and you mentioned that you had no Fs. Can you talk about that some with your Win Today program, how that worked like academically? Yeah, so I took the job in 2000, at, at the end of 2010 season, and for me, it was like, how can I leave the program better than I found it? Northwestern's the type of job you can retire at, and obviously Coach Wallace had done that before, and, and when I got into that job, when I left to go to Clemson, that's the longest place I'd ever been was Rock Hill since I graduated high school. You know, I, I was there for nine years. I thought I was going to retire at, at Northwestern just like there was no other job in the state of South Carolina I wanted. I could go to other states, but I like living in South Carolina and being the area that I was in. I like coaching South Carolina high school football. So for me, I was in a place that I could have retired at. But I wanted to leave that. If I did leave, I wanted to make sure that I left that place better than I found it, which is very difficult because you're replacing a Hall of Fame coach who's won he's got a 30-year career there, a ton of games, and he had won three state championships there so and played in a bunch of them. So it was like, how do I leave this place better? So for me, I do know in that city it can be tough at times. Like There's a lot of great high school football players in that city, but you never hear of them because – they either don't qualify to play high school football because of their academics or they do play high school football. And then you go, hey, whatever happened to that guy? He didn't get to go play college football because of his grades. So for me, it was like, you know what? I'm going to bite this thing off off the field and try to make it better within the, the schoolhouse and within our players. And, and at the end of the day, just give them opportunities because not all kids want to go play college football. They right. have great high school football careers. And you talk to them, you go, hey, what do you want to do? when you graduate high school and a lot of them are like, Hey, I want to go into military. I want to go to, Hey, I want to go to technical school and learn a trade or whatever. And all that is positive. So for me, I thought as coaches, we get too caught up in the dream of, Hey, I want to get as many college football players out there as I can get. Well, guess what? They all don't want to do that. So for me, right. it was like, how can I give every kid on my team an opportunity to succeed when there's no more Northwestern football? So that's kind of how I challenged with our win today program and with our academic plan was like, you know what, we're going to give these kids the opportunity to go do what they want when high school, when their high school career is over. And Northwestern football is going to be the carrot that we dangle to make that happen. So we put in an academic plan. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> uh, but at, at the end of the day, our kids really bought into it. It took now. I can go, you know how it is at clinic talk. You go talk at clinic, you throw up the slide, and it's like, bam, there it is. Well, right. you know, like I know, there's a lot of work that went with that. There was a lot of headache that went with that. And unfortunately, there were some kids who didn't get on board, or some parents. That's the crazy thing, yeah. is parents that did not get on board because all the kid or the parents saw it was, was football. And that's not what I wanted to be about. So at the end of the day, we ended up weeding out the Fs. If you were going to play football for Northwestern, you were going to have good grades. And it wasn't going to be a good grade to me. wasn't, hey, I make a couple Cs, a B. Oh, I had an F because I screwed up in that class. And that's all good. No, you were going to meet a standard. And once you hit that standard, then you could be a part of something special on the field. Yeah. But we wanted you to meet that standard off the field, too. That's awesome. Coach. You had a ton of success, so academically, that's amazing that you were able to accomplish that, but you also had a really high-powered offense. That's what you were known for. Your last season, I looked up, you averaged 47.6 points a game. That's in the 5A classification. That's the highest level in South Carolina. Why do you think your offensive scheme worked so well? What was the biggest factor in your offense being so successful when you were at Outside of having 
unbelievable players. <laughs> right. I was about to say, well, you, you, can, <laughs> you can score a lot of points when you got those cats. That's what I yeah. uh, That's what I tell everybody all the time. I said, hey, at the end of the day, I'm not real there, – there's two things to that success, okay? And it all comes down to me not being real smart, all right? So the first part of it is I'm not real smart, so I had to have a very, very simple scheme. And then the second thing is I'm not real smart, so I had to have great players to execute a really simple scheme. So that's really what it came down to. But at the end of the day, we had some unbelievable players. But we all know as coaches, you can have these great players, but if you can't put them in the right position and put them in the right scheme to highlight their strengths and cover up their weaknesses, and that's what I always challenge our coaches to do. For me, I get too much credit for it. I brought the scheme. I was running – that air raid style offense when I learned it from Coach Mummy years ago and was running at Southeastern Louisiana University. And then I brought it to the state and there really wasn't, that was 2007. And, and when I brought it, you know, really the only spread team that was doing it at the high level was probably Burns. And Coach Bentley was doing a lot of great things. And he was kind of on his end of the deal of the state over there. And, and then we were kind of over here. And, and you got to remember, I can remember like yesterday, I walked into a school that won a state championship two to nothing. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, it's like, game. yeah, I know. It's like <laughs> you come in and say, we're going to do this offensive scheme and we're going to do it this way. And by the way, I need some players to do it, too. It was like, well, wait a second. We play defense over here. So it was a hard change, not only for the players, but for the coaches. But I do think what helped everybody is because it was really simple. And I told him, I was like, look, this is going to be a simple offense. That's going to take our guys to another level physically because they're not going to have to spend a lot of mental time figuring things out or slowing them down in how they play on the field. So we installed it. Everybody tends to forget before there was Justin Worley, Mason Rudolph, Gage Maloney. There was a kid named Will King who was a five foot ten nobody. And all he did was go and break some records in 2007. He was my first quarterback I had in the system. And, and heck, we're a couple – a couple plays away from playing in the state championship in 2007, played Burns in the semis and, and got beat. But the philosophy always was, we're not going to be good at a bunch of stuff. We're going to be great at just a handful of things. But we're going to be so great at it that nobody's going to be able to catch up to us. Right. And, and that's just the way I've always been with everything. And, and that's how that system is. What did Northwestern run before you got there? <laughs> like I said, they were a defensive team. I mean, it was load up the defense. And okay. they were great. I mean, they, they were a great defensive team. And like I said, won a lot. They, they were just kind of hodgepodge on offense. Right. And, and when I got there, and here's the, here's the other part of it that makes it really easy, is I loved every offensive lineman I had at Northwestern. But you didn't have to have five great offensive linemen to run this system. Right. So when I got there, it was like, well, you're going to take all the best players. Actually, no, I, I didn't get to take the best players. I said I wanted to pick the quarterback. I wanted to pick the center. I wanted to pick one receiver and one running back. That's it. So I, I need four dudes. Let me have these four guys, and then everybody else can go play defense, and I'll make the rest of the positions work. And that's how we did it. I picked um, – Jarrett Neely was the running back. He didn't play defense, and that was an easy pick. He was already running back, and he ended up being an all-state player in seven and eight. And Daryl Patterson, when he's on the football team, he didn't even play football his freshman and sophomore year. Really? I saw him playing. Yeah, I saw him playing. Bubba Pittman, who's the head coach at Rock Hill High, he was on my staff then, my receivers coach, and we're down there watching second period PE class 
down on the football field, and I'm like, who is this dude? Right? <laughs> so, you know, Patterson was an easy receiver pick because nobody knew who he was. I was like, oh, we'll take him. So he was a receiver <laughs> pick, and then I got to coach. Did center. you? Now, when you got Cordell Patterson, yeah. did you did you tell the defensive coaches, guys, you know, this guy hasn't played any, you know, we we going to take him and see what anything. he can do. Covered him up to about, covered him up, uh, <laughs> told him to stay home till about week two. And then week two, I was like, you're not going to believe this. This kid wants to play football. And by the way, he don't know what defense is, so we got him on offense. Let's throw it. But for me, what makes it all go around is really the center. And that always shocks people when I say that. But I gotta have I gotta pick my center first. And I gotta have a guy who can be in that shotgun snap, but also we can go under center. And he's gotta be able to get us lined up right and do all those things. And the years that I was losing my center, not my quarterback, was the years I freaked out the most in the offseason. Like, oh my gosh, how are we gonna replace this dude? I believe you. I've been ripped for bad snaps as an offensive line coach more than anything. Then it's contagious. Then you put the second string guy in. He gets nervous. He starts doing it. Then you throw your tackle in there. Come on, man. Come through for me. He can't do it either. I know. It's funny. Like the long snapper in the center, you never say anything about them until they snap the ball bad. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's just their names, you know, their numbers. And you want to fire them. That's the best part. You want to fire them. Well, guess what? (laughs) The guy behind them. There's a reason why he's behind them. He's not a great snapper, okay? That's right. I'm very guilty of that one. As soon as snaps start going, I just start – I lose it on everybody. Hey, I know exactly what you say. You say, get somebody in there that can do it. Well, he ain't in there because he can't do it. (laughs) You got to love – you got to love the talk on the sidelines from coaches. I mean, come (laughs) on. I love that part. Get somebody in there that can do it. Well, I thought I had the guy in there that could do it. That's, that's the dude that I went with, you know? Like, we, we like, talked about it in the meeting, like, before the season. This is going to be our guy. You know, you were part of the decision there, head coach. <laughs> yeah, I want to be like, did you not see the second team? The second team guy's been snapping this week. It's called second team. <laughs> did you not see him snap this week? No, don't worry about it. I'll get him in. Let's see how that goes for us, you know? Yeah. Hey, when you played Clowney, did you ever sell that to your offensive line guy? Get a tackle in there who can block him. <laughs> Coach, uh, no. he's not as good, and he doesn't same. know the plays. I coached <laughs> against Clowney five. We played against Clowney five times. So this is a true story. So 2010, we're playing. We're we're playing them opening up. So this will be the fifth time. And the and the best part of this is is that that was the first year we played in two different classifications. So yeah. I knew that I only got to go one more time again. I mean, I just I threw a party. I was like, one more time. It's the fifth time. I wanted to face him in the playoffs. <laughs> I'll never have to see this dude again, right? And we got the whole summer. This is the best part. It's the opening game of the season, ESPN. You got Worley on one side at quarterback. Clowney's all world and everything. We get the whole summer to think about that. Our kids get the whole summer to go, <laughs> oh, great, our opening games against Clowney. Yeah, let's get really fired up for this workout. <laughs> we get to face Clowney. I don't think I had any tackles show up that entire summer, like for real. I'm showing up week two, okay? I'm going to play with a couple guards out there, centers at left and right tackle, because I'm not going against that dude. <laughs> but I told our guys about 10 days before that game, I told our staff, I said, look, I told our offense staff, I said, we got to do some major brainwashing, you know, for like the next 10 days or legit. We're going to get embarrassed. <laughs> like this, this dude's going to be blowing and going on on ESPN. So I told our players we're going to probably snap the ball seventy times, seventy times in a game. 
Clowney's going to get his. He's like Jordan. He's going to get his. What has to happen is you can't let Scottie Pippen go get his, and you can't let Tony Kukoc go get his. I said, but on top of that, I hope he takes more than five plays off, but I'm going to (laughs) guarantee you that he takes five plays off. And you don't know what five plays they are, but if we get him five times and he gets us 65 times, here's the difference. His 65 times is zero points. Our five times is 35 points. Yeah. And I just kept beating that in their head. If you get him five times, it's 35 points. They they don't even know who we're playing because we never said South Point. We just kept saying Clowney. Hey, if we get him five times, (laughs) if Clowney does this five times. So long story short, we get into the game. We are getting smoked. Before the Michigan hit, there was the Northwestern (laughs) hit that was identical to that hit. Fourth and inches in the first half. The idiot offensive coordinator for Northwestern goes under center and puts a fullback in the game. That's how smart he is, right? So Clowney goes from defensive end to he sees that formation, and he just on his own lines up over top of the center and blows it up. I'm not kidding you. The Michigan coach comes and recruits like three years later when the Michigan hit happened. He comes. People forget this. When Clowney went through signing day and all that, right? Remember, he went a week later. So he he kept his decision for a week. So he's by himself on ESPN on all the different shows and all that by himself a week after signing day. And the only hit they kept showing was the Northwestern hit. (laughs) I saw that. It was That's all they kept showing. They didn't even show anything else. And I kept saying every time they'd show that hit and somebody would make a smart aleck comment to me, I'd go, yeah, by the way, we won that game. Yeah, I I don't know if you know, but we won that game. So the Michigan coach, assistant coach, like three years later, comes through the through the place to recruit. I don't know who Mason, maybe. As soon as he sat down, I said, "Hey, I want to, I want to thank you, and I want you to send send our thanks back to all the staff." And he's like, "What are you talking about?" I was like, "Well, I just want to thank y'all for allowing Clowney to have that hit on y'all because then it took us off the Sports Center reel because all they played was <laughs> our hit." And I showed him the hit. He's like, "Oh my gosh, there's another one." I said, "Oh yeah, we were the first. We were the first. So. <laughs> But, but to get off, I got off topic there, but we scored with four minutes and 53 seconds left in the third quarter. Worley throws five touchdown passes in four minutes and 53 oh seconds, scores gosh. 35 points, and we Good win boy. by like 17 points or something. God, so bad. after the game, our kids are looking at the offensive staff like we're the smartest people that's ever walked. He's <laughs> like, hey, coach, you taught us five times, you know, five times, 35 points. It all, it all worked out for that game, but you just had to hope, and we did in that game. You just had to hope that one play he got frustrated or one play he took a playoff because he made all the plays. You just had to hope that you could make a play on that play yeah. because there was no stopping him. I mean, it didn't matter where he lined. Heck, he played running back against us in 2009. It was like, really? Are you kidding me right now? And yeah. how are you going to tackle him? And then they turn around and they go and play 3A, with him at, at running back, and I saw some of the 3A games with him at running back, and it was like something off of off a TV show, you know? I mean, it was just like, this dude is freaking huge. He's still, to this day, the only player to ever score a perfect – like, he's the perfect recruit. He's the only recruit to ever be the perfect recruit. So, on those rivals and max preps and all that, he's a perfect 1,000. I think Trevor Lawrence is the second highest rated – recruit besides Clowney and Trevor's like a 99.9. I don't even know how that right. stuff works, but the dude's a thousand. You couldn't go higher <laughs> than a thousand. You know? 
<laughs> I mean, it's just amazing. He's a great player. Well, you mentioned um, Trevor there. I wanted to ask you, too, it's something that always sort of interests me. I hear people talking even in the NFL. They talk to certain coaches and people who have coached great players. How soon did you realize that – I mean, I know, obviously, Trevor Lawrence was a great recruit and all that stuff, but yeah. how soon did you realize, like, this dude is the real deal, like he's going yeah. to be the guy? Was it, like, the first practice? Did it take a little bit for him to grow, um, or was it just, like – from the very first time you saw him throw, like, this yeah. guy can just flat out do it. For me, with those type of guys, obviously the physical talent is what it is. But what separates those type of dudes is how they're mentally wired and how they act off the field in preparation, right. you know, stuff like that. How their teammates view them, I think, is a big, especially at that position. So, you know, I've been blessed to be at, at Northwestern be around some really 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 good quarterbacks and then obviously at Clemson to be around some some really good quarterbacks and 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 I'll say for Trevor he was just different obviously he went on the field at camp first time I ever saw him throw at camp and it was just like I mean the ball's coming off his hand I, you know you just haven't seen before as a high school kid right but when he came in and the and, and just the way we recruit him he's the, he's the number one recruit in the country and you would never have known it with him once he committed us, I mean, it, it used to – it's kind of funny because we'd go into staff meetings and Coach Swinney would be like – he'd go through the list of recruits that came for the game. And usually the kids that are committed, you know, they they find their way to – either through a coach or whatever, they find their way to Coach Sweeney to say hello and everybody just kind of check in and everything's all good. Because you really have to babysit these kids after they all commit right. because right. you got to get it to signing day, right? So we're sitting in there and it was just like – Coach be like, hey, did, did Trevor make it to the game? We'd be like, oh, yeah, Trevor's at the game. He's like, really? He's like, is it, are we good? Because I didn't get to talk to him. Is there anything okay? <laughs> like, yeah, like he cut, like like he just comes in, watches the game, and leaves. Because like he told Coach, he's like, hey, I'm I'm yours. You know, like I'm, I'm committed. That's who I am. And Coach, you don't have to worry about it. I'm coming to Clemson. But that's just, this is who he was and how he operated. And it was just refreshing to see that, you know, with a recruit, especially one as big time as him. But. You know, he comes into spring ball, and as soon as he comes into spring ball and we start spring practice, it's like he just carried himself. You know, he, his maturity level is just – he's got a maturity level that, that is not normal for a freshman kid, especially one that came in early and was still technically in high school. Heavy in his faith, which carries him. Just has – he's just the all-around, has everything, everything that you want in a quarterback or any type of player that you want on the field. He just happens to be the quarterback. And, and I saw the same thing in, like, a young Justin Worley and a young Mason Rudolph. It was like their desire to get better carried them a long way, but right. their desire also to bring their teammates with them as they tried to get better carried them even further. And you got to have some luck in this game. Y'all know you got to, you know, you got to have some luck. You got to have when it comes to injuries and, and your health and stuff like that. But for everything that Justin Worley did, on the field, he was just as great as that person off the field. I'd say the same thing about Mason Rudolph. Gage Maloney, who I coached there at the end, was the same type of kid. And then you turn around and you come to Clemson and you get to be around a Deshaun Watson. I mean, heck, Deshaun's backup, Nick Schusler, could go on and started at a bunch of places in the country, and, and you don't even know that. And again, the relationship they had together as the number one and number two quarterback carried Deshaun far. And it also carried Nick along with him. And then you've got you see the exact same thing now with Trevor and Chase Bryce. Right. And that's what's that's what's cool about 
I, I don't know. That quarterback room, when you're in it, it's just different. Now, I don't care what level you're at, high school, college, NFL. If you can get your number one and number two guy to be, be boys and help each other, you got a chance to be special because the number two guy standing on the sidelines can see it and help the number one guy. Right. But sometime during the season, guess what? You're going to need that number two guy. You're going to have to play. You're going to do something. Yep. You know what I mean? Just talking there about Clemson, I mean, you went from being Northwestern's offensive coordinator, the head coach at Northwestern, making the jump from high school to college. I think a lot of guys listening would like to know if there are guys trying to advance in their careers. Let's say that they're a position coach right now and they want to be a coordinator, or they're a coordinator, they want to be a, a head coach, or maybe even a coach in high school that wants to go to college. What do you think are the most important things to do as a coach to make sure that you can advance in your career, to put yourself in the best position to do that? So I get that question a lot. And when I go and speak on the Glazier tour and the Nike tour, and I usually try to, it, it's, it's funny because like, and, and I love doing Glazier. I've, I've done Glazier for a long time, over a decade, probably every year. I'm like, Hey, I want to do this one topic. You know, they usually give you three topics to do. And, and the topic is on this question and the topic is on career and culture. Yeah. And, and it has nothing to do with on the field. And, and I always have to like really, push them to let me do that topic because most of these clinics that you go to what's it about it's all about x's and o's and i think that's the least of what makes you successful as a coach or your program that's probably the easiest part and so i'm always like well i think this is the answer to what some of these coaches need need to hear or want to hear so when i do that talk uh, i get the same question and and for me like i'm a die I, I grew up a clemson fan my whole family's from seneca and from the Clemson area. So I grew up my whole life wanting to play football for Clemson. And I was not good enough, not even close, to, to being able to play at Clemson. So I never dreamed I would be able to coach at Clemson. And to be honest with you, I never even thought about it. I wanted to be a college football coach. But for Clemson, I was the fan of Clemson. And Clemson was like this mystical place to me, this far thing that you didn't even think about trying. Like for me, trying think about trying to get to. So – I can't say that I worked every day and was like, man, I'm doing X, Y, and Z because one day I want to coach at Clemson. That was not even the case at all. For me, I worked hard. I was told a long time ago when I first started this coaching career, like, work really hard where you're at and people will take notice. And if it's God's plan for those people that take notice to change your career path or whatever, then that'll happen. But your job is to work really hard and focus really hard on where you're at who you're working with, and the kids that you're working for. So that was the first thing that I did my whole career, and it's really, it's worked. I've gone places. I got to coach college football at a young age at 25. I was a full-time, you know, Division One AA coach. I've got to go to Northwestern and, and be an offense coordinator and then later on be the head coach, and then that's carried me to Clemson. And every spot, I've kind of kept that same philosophy. Work hard where I'm at. If it's meant to be for me to do something else, guess what? My hard work here is going to make a difference and somebody's going to pay attention to that and, and then God's plan is going to take it from there. But I'd say that's a big one because I see way too many times, even today, especially since I've kind of transitioned over to Clemson, it's like, you know, I got people that would never reach out to me, talk to me or, know, you know, I, I don't know, reach out to me. And, and the only reason they're reaching out to me is because they think I can help them get a job at Clemson or help them get a job. And I'm like, well, are you working just as hard at trying to make a connection and a network with me at your job right now? Are you working just as hard and connected with your head coach, your kids that are there, 
as you're working and trying to get Coach Sweeney to see you, you know, so you can start that network or whatever. And that's important. The network is important. But that kind of leads me into number two. You got to network, but you got to network with your main focus being your current job. So for me, I wanted to get back into college one day. But the longer I stayed at Northwestern, the more I was like, man, this is where I want to be and I want to retire. And I don't want to go to college. I don't want to go back to college, which was a change for me because I didn't think that would be the case. But I also go, you know, you never know. So I do need to keep my network intact or kind of keep growing my network. So for me, I wanted to go to if I went to the University of South Carolina to their coaching clinic or I just wanted to go down there and and meet up with a coach and talk ball. That was great. I would go there with my main focus being what? get better as a football coach, bring something back to Northwestern that I can use to make our program better and our kids better. And before I leave, you know what? Grow your network because that's, that's right. not bad either. Yeah. But it wasn't, hey, I'm going to go there and everything was going to be about relationship, relationship, grow, 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 grow. And by the way, uh, what do you do on fourth down and one? Okay, <laughs> write, write it down for me real quick. You know, I just coaches need to flip that priority. You know what I mean? Like, Continue to grow your network, but grow you and your program first and your network second. So I would say that's the second. And then the third thing, and I know it's kind of a long answer, but the third thing is I think you need to be something more than X's and O's. I personally know I did not get noticed by Coach Sweeney because of state championships and the offense that I was, I was rolling out at Northwestern. All that stuff was great, and all that stuff was maybe help. But for him, what he's told me is you were different. You know, your win today was different. What you were trying to do with kids were different. And then all that other stuff, that other success was great too. But for me, I did not know that something off the field would catch wildfire like it did and help our kids. I definitely did not create that or put that together to help my career as in like going to Clemson. Does that make sense? Right. But at the end of the day, I had something to offer Clemson. They don't need my X's and O's. They don't need my offensive philosophy. They already have that. They're already rolling with that. I offered Dabo Sweeney, I offered Clemson football something different than just, hey, this dude's a great on-the-field coach. And, again, I'm not saying that to toot my horn. I'm just saying that's what, that, that's what got me to Clemson. And that's what I've heard Coach Sweeney say in regards to he created my position and the position on defense, senior offensive assistant, senior defensive assistant. He created those positions. He could have hired anybody that he wanted to that had way better schemes, but there was something that was different about me and Mickey that allowed us to get these two newly created positions at Clemson and be a part of this ride that we've been a part of, and it has nothing to do with X's and O's. So I think you got to work hard where you're at, and don't worry about who's paying attention. Work hard for the people you're with. Work hard for the people for the kids that you got. Network, but network with your job is number one. And then the third thing is make sure that you got something different to offer than just being an X and O guy. Because those things change. But who you are and what you can bring to the table, you got something besides X's and O's, that's different. And and in today's society, let's just be honest, no matter what job it is in today's society, you gotta be different. And you got to be able to bring something to the table that's just not the norm. Chad, you're sitting there going, somebody at Lamar said, I want you to be the next head coach at Lamar. Well, there had to be something besides just football. Now, that, that helps. And that's, that's the carrot. 
but there's something else behind that that says this guy's the guy that we need to take us in, into the next five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever. For sure. I think that for me, I mean, that's a big thing that coaches just in general get way too caught up in X's and O's just because that's not, as long as you're sound in what you're doing, if you've got the right culture and the and good players, like you're going to be successful. But I just think that so many coaches go to clinics and do all this stuff to try to get X's and O's and network and do all that stuff when the most important thing is what you're doing for the kids to get your culture where it needs to be to win games. You're exactly right. I there, and I'm not going to name the name the name of the team, but there was one team when I was at Northwestern, and I was like, I watched their scheme, and I was like, this scheme is un, uh, it's unstoppable. It's incredible. It's unstoppable. I wanted to study that scheme and get stuff out of it to make mine better, but we beat them every year, and even right. with this unbelievable scheme that I wanted a piece of. They didn't have the same players that we had. I mean, at the end of the day, our players were just flat out better than their players, and their scheme could not overcome that. So, again, you're right. Scheme is scheme. At the end of the day, it can be defeated just with better players. You can have one right. better dude in the field, and that scheme doesn't matter. And right. that's why I was lucky at Northwestern because I think we had a good scheme, but we had great players to execute a good scheme. I, I can't say that my career is the same and people are sitting here talking about offensive accolades if I was somewhere else running the exact same scheme. And on the flip side of that, too, I think that you've got a lot of teams that do have good players and maybe even have a good enough scheme, but they're just, they don't get the players. They've got a lot of talent. They've got a lot of athletes, but they don't have the discipline or they don't have the unity yeah. or whatever to get everybody right. going in the right direction. And so you have, a, and I think that South Carolina is probably a state where you have a lot of that because we do every I mean, there's not too many places that doesn't have athletes in the state. But you get a lot of places that just from a culture standpoint, it might even be in the school building where the kids just, they're not where they need to be from a culture standpoint yeah. to go on Friday night and win. And so you get that on the right. other side too, even if you do have good athlete. That's right. I believe. Coach, that. let me ask you this because yep. you, I know that you had, you're talking about the culture. That's really what made you successful is that culture you had. What would be something, and this is something every coach goes through, what is something where, let's say, a player does something discipline-wise in school or does something in the community? What would be something for you that warranted being removed or suspended for compromising that culture? Or let's say they, they're kind of going against the team and it's more about me. What would be the steps you take? Do you say you're off the team? Do you suspend? Do you bring them in for a talk? How did you do that? I think every situation and scenario is different. You know, I had a list of rules. There weren't a lot of rules because – at the end of the day, I, I think I had five or six rules, and you know, you kind of have the ultimate umbrella on on one of them that keeps that gray area where it can kind of cover everything, you know. But for me, it was depending on what the severity of it was. And I went in the business of kicking kids off, but you know, obviously, it would get to a point where I, I gave you chance after chance, or I gave you every opportunity to you know, get better or, or do what, what's best for the program. And for me, when I started to see it to affect other kids on the team to where now I'm starting to lose other kids, is one worth 20? Is one right. worth 50? Right. And those are hard questions you have to ask yourself as a coach. But at the end of the day, it, again, it doesn't matter what business you're in or, you know, what world you're in. Sometimes you got to cut loose one or two. So that 20, 30, 40, 50, or whatever, your company 
you know, doesn't go go under because you're letting a couple bad apples, you know, ruin it all. And, and that's just the way I looked at it. I do know the first year that I took the head job and I went in and I started changing some things. And I told her principal up front, I said, look, I need your support. And, oh, yeah, you got my support. You got my support. I said, no. I said, look, some of the things that I'm about to change, the, the academic plan that I was going to put into place. I said, I've got to hold this team and these players and these parents. I've got to hold them accountable early because if I don't, and I'm going to have to take some measures early that is not going to be popular and you're going to catch some, some flack on it. I said, but right. I've got to do it. And I promise you, if you just let, we may lose a couple now. I don't want to lose any, but we may lose a couple now. But years from now, you're going to look back on this time and I'm going to look back on that, this time and go, man, it was well worth losing those two or three that would not do what we asked them to do. And look how many hundreds we gained. And look how much success on and off the field we gained. And we did. You know, I don't know names, but I remember it like it was yesterday. I gave every opportunity. I had about 100-plus kids. I had about seven that still thought they could do it their way. And they were really, really good players. Really, really good players. They just thought they could do it their way. And they kept trying me and trying me and trying me and trying their assistant coach. And then I started to see, like, I, I got to a point where I looked up and I said, you know what? I'm either going to win this football team now, which is going to in turn win this football team for years to come, or I'm going to lose this football team right now. And in a few years, especially at Northwestern, in a few years, I'm going to lose my job. So I had right. to make a decision what I was going to do with those seven. And a couple of them cut themselves. Again, I'm not in the business of cutting kids. A couple of them cut themselves. And i tell you what happened. When a, when a couple of them cut themselves, it was crazy how the other three or four of the seven all of a sudden turned good. And yep. all of a sudden started doing what you asked them to do. But I will say this, three or four kids didn't make it with us when we got into the season. And I'll be honest with you, three or four of those kids were probably two or three wins. And that was kind of tough to swallow because the worst year I had as a on paper was that year. We were eight and five, and you'd have thought we were five and eight outside the building. But I also look back on it, and my coaching staff from that year, we still talk about it today. Our best coaching job, all the years I was at Northwestern, those nine years, the best coaching job I had with the coaching staff was that 2011 year when we only won eight games. But we changed the mentality and the culture of that group of kids that ultimately led to 13 title, 15 title, and a ton of wins in between there. And back to your first question of the day, all that academic success with weeding out F's and, and all that. But it, but it all started with, hey, a couple kids just – you had to cut them loose. Yeah. You know what I mean? You had to give them every opportunity, but you had to cut them loose for the overall benefit of your team. And that's what's hard for us as coaches because we get in the world of we got to win now because guess what? The pressure's on us to win now. You know, we won eight games, and it was a struggle to win eight games. But I also knew with those three or four kids, we're probably 11-12 win team, and who knows? We may be playing for another title. I don't know. But it was hard to go in and go answer the questions and hear, feel the heat of the parents and the fans and all that and go, but wait a second, three years from now, you're going to really like what we did today. They don't want to hear that. And even as a coach, you don't really think about that. Like <laughs> you, you start doubting, like, am, am I really going to have success on the field because what I'm doing right now? Because this feels really stupid. You know, like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, am I cutting my nose off to spite my face right now? But I will say you have to stand strong in those times. And you have to believe in what you're doing. And sometimes everybody outside the building, 
again, I'm saying outside the building. Because inside the building, those people inside the building also better be believing in what you're doing. Because that's the people you got to go to work with and, and, yeah. and get it done. And if they don't believe, you got to get them on the outside of the building, by the way, which is very difficult, too. And I'm talking coaches. And that's where I, I look at Coach Sweeney and I'm like, Coach Sweeney is a great football coach and a great man. And he is great at making people believe. But he's also great at not listening to the noise outside the building. And yeah. the noise for a long time was negative. But he stayed true to what he believed was best for Clemson football. And look what look what's happened. Coach, we want to move on here. And I want to ask you a couple of questions just about the coach's culture. Because there's a definite culture like there, there are things we say there are things we do there's things that we probably see all the time that other people probably never see in their life and one of the things that we wanted to ask was you spoken at tons of clinics right. which guy at the clinic are you okay i'm going to go through a couple of guys chad you, you go right. through them with me first guy we see at the clinic is man that will not smile or laugh because he's trying to exert his manhood and how much of a ball coach he is you could say the funniest <laughs> thing in the world and he's yeah. going to scowl at you like i want to Combo the mic backer. Shut up. You know, they think hey, you're soft he's, if you're he's funny. Also, he's also the guy snowing outside and he's got shorts on. You know, no, yeah. <laughs> yelling at everybody he's got else. Shorts on and, and, and he's he's showing his manhood through that too. Yeah. Chad, who's another guy that we see? I'm a little I'm I'm guilty of that when I do wear shorts during the cold. <laughs> You've got the young O line coach that laughs at every old school O line joke and always says that I have to identify the Mike Backer anytime we do anything. He also has a neck beard. He also has a <laughs> neck beard. He definitely has a neck beard. He, he played in high school. He wasn't the best, but he was serviceable. And he went into coaching right out of high school. That's yeah, him every his, time. He's got kind of like his satchel draped across the front of his chest. <laughs> yeah. and got, all his, got all his notes in there. And he's like, oh, God. dude. You're way too big to have the satchel draped across your chest. Like, let's go with the old butt bag look. Right? Yeah. No, he's the satchel yeah. guy. So, yes, I, I know that guy. I'm neither one of these two guys we've said well, so far, by the way. This, this one might be you. This one might be you. There's right. the guy who knows every human. If you have ever coached football, this coach right. knows that coach. They go up to every one of them. Cut. They hug. They're like kids on Christmas when they see That's each right. other. They, yeah, hey, co you coming to eat with us, man? We're going to go get wings. Oh, coach, yeah. He's the guy who connects everybody, talks to everybody. Are any of these you? I'm probably the last one. So I speak at a lot of clinics, and a lot of times people are in the room listening, you know, listening to the talk, but you don't meet them after. But then you may see them later on. It's like, coach, how you doing? It's like, yeah, coach, coach, what's <laughs> up? And it's the hard to get all night. It's like, I saw you speak at the clinic, and then I want to be like, in my head, I want to be like, which one? And <laughs> there was fifty people in the room. But instead, I'm like, oh yeah, 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 that one, yeah, that's a great <laughs> one. Yeah. And, oh, wings? Yeah, I'll meet you there. And then they say, you know, you got 25 invites to eat wings. You don't make it to any of them, by the way. <laughs> You're still making connections and talking to everybody else. Or how about the one where you walk in there, it's like, coach, and then 20 people turn around and look. Because there's no last name, because you really don't know who you're talking to, yeah. and they don't know who they're talking to. They, they, they don't. don't know you're in the building and you're a coach. You could be the <laughs> vendor for all that matters, but guess what? Even the vendors will accept the term coach. Oh yeah. At the coaching clinic. Absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. I, I'm BSN vendor. I'm a coach today because I'm coach. at the coaching. 
Right. I'll see a woman at the clinic that works for Huddle, and I'll say, Coach, where's the room where Kyle Richardson's talking at? <laughs> She'll answer to it. If you're a human oh, in the oh, hotel, there's no doubt. You're and answering. As you do it, and you're walking off. She goes, By the way, we've got this new thing, and she hands you a pen and a business card. Like everybody in the world don't have Huddle as a high school coach. Right? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm going to take this business card and this pen, and when I get done listening to Kyle Richardson, I'm going to call you because I have no clue how to work huddle, but yet you continue to try to upsell me everything on huddle, and I can't work huddle 1.0, much less huddle 10.0, okay? Yeah, that was me in the, in the clinic. That's me right there. All right, I got to ask you something else here, too. This is one me and Chad have talked about all the time. I'll, I'll start it with a story. When I was in high school, we had a coach that was the most, you know, he was older guy, just, we got to get ready to play. Yeah. And I was in second block, and he was substituting for my class, second block of a game day. It's probably 10 in the morning. And I'm laughing in class, and the next thing I hear is, oh, White, you better take that yeah. smile off your face, son. We got a game tonight. <laughs> I'm like, I just ate breakfast, man. Can I enjoy my day? It's like, so my question to you is, yeah. are you the coach that gets mad if they see a player smile on game day? Or are you the guy that allows it and says, you know, that's okay? Because I also, when I was at North Greenville playing, Coach Staggs, I'm going to tell one on him. He's the defensive coordinator now at Coastal. It's 24 yeah. hours before game day. And he says, and I laugh on the bus leaving for the airport. And he says, White, quit laughing. And then he said, you've been hanging around the offense too much. Because you know every <laughs> defensive coach. Every defensive yeah. coach thinks that the offensive guys are the softest humans on earth. So, was yeah. that ever you, or have, are you? Yeah. Do you let your players smile and laugh on game day? Yeah. So, <laughs> so that was kind of one of those difficult moments because I took over for a staff that had been with Coach Wallace for like forever. Oh my uh, gosh! And, and <laughs> I know he's time, old school. Oh, Coach Wallace was like Wednesday. Like, you're at Wednesday practice, and you thought you were getting ready to play the game that night. And it's like, whoa, wait a second. We're not kicking off yet, are we? So, it was tough for me because I would tell our coaches, like, they would get so mad because the exact scenario that you just said. You know, it's 8 o'clock in the morning, and Johnny's getting <laughs> off the bus, you know, yeah. and he's crack, He's walking with his – oh, this is the best one. You're walking with your girlfriend at 8 o'clock in the morning getting off the bus. Johnny, <laughs> man. Johnny's out there with Jane. You know, he's going to play soft tonight. He ain't going to play enough good. Him and Jane got off the bus. You know they were probably holding hands on the bus. He, he got mine, right? Where's his mind? And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's 8 o'clock in the morning. We're not playing until 8 o'clock tonight, right? right. Do you yeah. really think that Johnny's going in first block, second block, and third block, dead silent, game face on, and I would have to fight with our assistant coaches, like, leave these dudes alone. Let them be kids, right? <laughs> i tell you what, a couple hours before kickoff, like, I don't know, when fourth block ends and the school day's over, then we'll start this process. Right. But y'all are ridiculous. So then I used to tell them, I said, all right, I'm going to start treating y'all the same way that y'all treat your kids. <laughs> I said, so, when y'all walk on school campus, uh-uh. Y'all playing the game as minute as you get on campus. And I'd see him, and I'd be like, "Why are you in the hall laughing, cutting up?" I, 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 I'd be like, well, you know, you know, this kid, he 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 did something stupid in class, and I was just telling, you know, Mr. John about it. No, 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 no. We're not doing that. No, we got a game today. You get your, get your game mind right. You tell get everybody you. in the building, everybody in the building, by your look on your face, that we have a big game tonight. Okay, and I want you to do it all day. I want you to do it for twelve <laughs> hours. 
Oh, I'm, hey, here's I got a better one for you. Ready? Thursday night JV. Oh, this one used to kill oh, me. No. Thursday night JV. I'd be in the JV game coaching the JV kids, and I'd have coaches come up to me and go, "Man, Johnny's up there in the stands acting a fool. <laughs> you know he ain't be ready to play tomorrow." And I'd be like, "What?" And I'd turn around and like Johnny would be having a tub of popcorn listening to a joke that Jack was telling, right? And they'd all be laughing and cutting up like true kids, great kids, right? And I'd be like, are you kidding me? We don't even play till tomorrow night. Yep, but you know what they say? Thursday night, Thursday night TV. You should be watching this game, looking at the looks. Hey, get better watching <laughs> get these ready. guys. Yeah. Get, you watch your position. Tomorrow night. Heck, watch I'm, your I'm position. Just I'm just glad they're at the game and I can see them. You know, that like they're yeah. not out doing something stupid and I can see them. Or the best part, it's halftime and, and that same coach is walking up there sweeping them out of the stand. All right, you boys get home. Y'all need to go to bed. Got to get a good night's rest for tomorrow night's game. Y'all get out of here. Get out of here. It's too, this JV game's too late. I'm like, yeah, they're they're legit going home right now and going to sleep. That's exactly that, yeah. what they're doing. They're going to go to yeah. sleep. Like as soon yeah. getting in the car and they are going straight to bed. They're all going you to know, play it, Fortnite. It, it was these old school coaches that drove me. It wasn't the kids. It was yeah. these old school coaches that drove me crazy monitoring everything that you just said. From Thursday night all the way to, hey, how about Thursday's practice? Thursday's practice had to be like a game, right? And then you you, you had to carry Thursday's practice all the way to Friday at 7.30 at night. That's the man, you know, the, the mindset they had to have was, hey, it's serious from here on out is business. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's not like that in college. It's not. Like, yeah. That's what I kept trying to tell these guys. Like, and they would not listen. I was like, they don't do this in college. Like, we get on the plane. I mean, we're not like partying, but we're just normal. And then, heck, Friday night we go to a movie and we may go see Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> you know, it's like whatever. Yeah. And then Saturday yeah. when they wake up, you know, it's time to go. Yeah, so, anyway. it's less like that. Like, obviously, John and I played for the same high school coaches. Like, it was much more relaxed in college on game day than it was in high school. Like we couldn't, our coaches coach, took. Oh my gosh. My high school coach was old school, like loving to death, but he was old school. It was like a scene out of, uh, he was like high school coach off days and confused. It was like a scene out of that movie. I mean, it was like you woke up and you're like, Oh man, all I'm going to do today is stay away from coach Tate because coach Tate, if he sees me with a smile, I won't play tonight because he'll he'll think I'm not ready to go. I just won't play. I won't get any snaps tonight. Our coaches took the mirrors out of our locker rooms because kids were like looking in them to like put their wristbands on or something an hour before the game. Yeah, and they they literally took the mirrors out. Like they're like everybody had to go to the JV locker room to get a mirror because there's one mirror in the JV locker room, and everybody would just flock to that one mirror. Well. I'll tell you what I did stop, and and I, I guess I ended up being an old school guy. I got sick of like everybody dressing like a clown, right? Like here's right. our uniform, and then next thing you know, you got 15 different pairs of socks on. They're different oh, I colors. Care about socks. Different I care about socks. I mean, I finally got sick of that. So I told one of our student managers, I said, "Here's what I need." It's like my second year as head coach. I said, "Here's what I need this offseason. You got one job." He said, "What's that?" I said, "Go find me a mannequin." I don't care how you get it. Well, don't steal it, but I don't care how you get it, but get a mannequin in this room, in the train, in the equipment room. So he goes and gets a mannequin. He's like, what are you going to do with the mannequin? 
I said, well, every Friday we meet in this room after they get dressed. I said, because we have to drive to our stadium because it's downtown. I said, they're going to pass. First of all, this mannequin is going to be dressed exactly the way that they're supposed to be dressed tonight. And if it's not on the mannequin, it's not on them. And if it's on them, they're not getting on the bus and going to the game. I said, so we named the, the mannequin Troy Trojan. So we'd say, hey, Troy Trojan's dressed. You better be dressed like Troy Trojan. And I can't tell you how many times I'd walk in to give my everything. We're good. We're getting on the bus and going to the game. And I'd bring and Troy the Trojan would be standing beside me. And I'd look up and say, Johnny, you're not dressed like Troy. You got a minute to get dressed like Troy. You're not getting on the bus. <laughs> you on the bus if you look, if you didn't look like Troy the Trojan. Because I got sick of all that. So I guess I ended up being old. Yeah. When it came to that. Yeah, I don't mind wristbands and stuff, but socks, that's one thing. you got. Everybody's got to have the same color socks or I'll go crazy. Yeah, that's, that was me too. One more thing before you leave. I heard you talk here recently about possibly changing the location of the state championship game. I played in two state championships as a player, and hopefully I hadn't got to coaching one. I've been around away, but hopefully I'll yeah. get, get to coaching one one day. Just talk um, real quick um, before you go. Just talk us through some of that, what, what y'all are thinking about trying to do with that. You know, for me, I based, I'm not really in that world of my job wasn't really a part of what we were doing with the high school state championships, but some people at Clemson that are in that world and kind of trying to make the move or have been a part of that when the game has, has been at Clemson approached me and was like, hey, what was your experiences like as the coach? You know, I, I had the opportunity to coach in it six times and I just was like, well, you know, here's kind of my experiences of the six times I was in it. Here's the experiences of the three times that we won it. Because even after you win it, there's a different experience to it. And long story short, when we started kind of putting that stuff together, and I just started getting my feedback, I said, look, what y'all want to do is great, but the dynamic of how the high school league is kind of set up, you're kind of approaching it wrong. And so I kind of helped them with that and how they could get in and meet with the executive committee and talk to Jerome and some of those things. And then be able to get some feedback from coaches like yourself and, and ADs and stuff like that. So for me, it was just about improving the overall experience for high school players, high school fans, and everyone that's involved in it. And also given the high school programs the opportunity to see more college campuses and stadiums than just South Carolina. The six times I was in it, five of them were at South Carolina and one of them was at Clemson. And again, I'm not saying this because I'm a Clemson football coach because I'm a South Carolina high school football coach that's right. who i am all right now right. i get an opportunity to go to clemson every day and work but i love my time as south carolina high school football coach and if i go back to high school football coaching tomorrow it's going to be in the state of south carolina i just wanted to improve it all for every, all parties involved and i think the improvement of that is looking at other states alabama georgia you know some of these states that are around us and looking at what their blueprint is and when you look at it i just thought having two great universities in south carolina and clemson rotating that game and allowing both campuses to be able to show off what they got. But at the same time, letting like yourself, you played in two state championships. Now, right. how cool would that be to be in two state championships? Now, that, that's very, very difficult to do, but how cool would that be in being two state championships and one of them be at Clemson and one of them be at South Carolina and have the experiences of both of those setups? Oh yeah, for so, sure. You know, we just kind of put a plan together. Thad Turnipseed did a great job of, putting that all together for us and presenting it to the high school league and to you guys. And, and we've got some good positive feedback from it. I don't really know where it stands right now, but I think it would benefit the university of South Carolina and Clemson university. Boom. 
it definitely benefits both of them. But I also think it benefits big time the South Carolina high school kids, players, fans, and the coaches. And, and hopefully we'll see some changes that set up that experience to be a little bit different and a little bit better than it's been in the past. South Carolina high school football is one of the best in the country. That's an opinion of mine, but then when you also look at it on paper, that's factual-based, yep. based off the per capita, the NFL players that are coming out of this state, per capita, the college players that are coming out of this state and having success. And if best is the standard at two different universities in the state of South Carolina and we're playing big-time football and being in two great conferences and representing our state the way we are, there's no different that the high school – state championships should be any different. And that's just kind of the, my, my opinion on it. All right. Well, Coach Richardson, I really appreciate you coming on with us. Yeah, um, great time talking with you. Good luck on your success and everything going forward at Clemson. Y'all really got it rolling. I hope it continues for you. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, all y'all do for high school athletics. This podcast is going to be great for high school and college coaches. Really excited about future of it. And thanks for having me. All right, so that was Coach Richardson. There's really a lot of great stuff in there. Hopefully, y'all can take a lot from that. I know I have. And I've talked to Jonathan. You've taken something from it, too, that you're actually going to try to apply. That's right, yeah. I'm uh, meeting today with my head coach and a teacher at our school that are interested in doing a win-today type program. And it's probably not going to be exactly what Coach Richardson did at Northwestern, but it's going to be really good for our kids. We're going to find a way to target some of the problems that they're having academically, and we're going to do what we can to try to hold them accountable and improve those grades so that they have opportunities going into the future past football. So I'm excited about that. Coach Richardson did a great job not only telling us about culture, how to advance as a coach, but academically helping our students. I think that's going to be great for us at North Myrtle Beach High School. But now we want to go into the coach's cliche. The coach's cliche is going to be a segment we do on this podcast on a regular basis. We're not going to say necessarily every episode, but there are so many cliches that coaches say some of them do mean things, but a lot of them, Chad, are just really dumb. Would you they agree? They don't mean anything. I completely agree, and I'm guilty of using them. But they're really just to make myself feel better, even though they're not going to help us gain one more yard than we were going to gain before. Saying that some of these are dumb will make some people very angry. Yeah, but that's all right, because I know there are going to be people out there listening that do say these, and I'm right there with you guys. I say it all the time, too. But I think it is good to sort of sit back and evaluate what actually has meaning and what doesn't. Because we say a lot of stuff and some of them mean something and some of them don't mean anything. So, yeah, the first one we want to do for our first co coach's cliche, and it's always said in this voice, quit worrying about being pretty. <laughs> Translated, quit worrying about being pretty. Chad, I know you've had that said to you because we played together in high school. What's your take on quit worrying about being pretty? So this is always my question as a player. I, I played a lot of offense and ran the ball a lot. I would tell my old school coaches they would be mad because I wanted to have a wristband like somewhere on my arm and or a sleeve somewhere on my arm. And I would always just think to myself, all right, so really, coach, is this going to keep me from rushing for as many yards as I was going to rush for? Am I only going to rush for like 60 now instead of 90 because I wanted to have this wristband on and I stopped and looked at in the mirror? I would now, answer that with no, <laughs> well, personally. All right, now, I'm going to ask you this because during the podcast with Coach Richardson, when we were talking to him, you did say that it bothers you when players Socks. don't wear the same color socks. Why? Socks. They're not going to run for less yards. It does not matter for their playing ability. If they feel better 
wearing one lime green and one pink sock? Why do you care if it doesn't change the way they play? Because I don't want to get fired. I'm not going to well, get fired for somebody having a wristband somewhere and like taking 30 seconds to get the wristbands on. I might get fired if Lamar High School walks out there with our silver and black and some dude has a lime green sock and a polka dot sock with Santa Claus's on it. Throw that one out. What about uh, silver socks? Another guy has on black socks and then another guy has on white socks. Why does that matter? They, All team colors. They need to look the same. That's exactly what the old school guys would say, though, when you say you want to look pretty. They need to say you don't need to look pretty. Take those gloves off, get your hands down in the dirt, and get some mud on them. It's about team unity. If everybody looks the same, keeps it together, you've got the kids who care about different things, everybody's all together, and it makes me feel better. That's what we talked about beforehand. A lot of this stuff is just to make me feel better. I know it's not going to actually help anybody win or lose, but it makes me feel better when I go out there and I see us all looking the same and I'm the boss. So I get to have it how I want it. So you're owning the fact that it does not make a difference, but it makes I'm, you feel better with the sock thing. I'm completely owning it, but with the other stuff, cause I was the same way. Like why should a player not be able to wear a towel where he wants it? Why is that bad? Why but, do old school coaches think that that's bad? That is the same thing. As what old you're school. That's no, the same not. thing as what you're saying. Yes, it no, is. It's not. It isn't. It's not because, to me, a sock is part of a uniform. That would be the equivalent of having a completely different colored jersey on. A so different colored jersey? A sock is a part of the uniform. So your pants should all be the same, right? Your jersey should all be the same. Your sock should all be the same. Um, your helmet should all be the same. But everything outside of that, that's where the personal customization comes in, and you can try to look like Antonio Brown. That makes sense to me. Does that make sense to you? I do think that there's a lot of similarities between what you're saying about not wanting guys to wear different colored socks. And I get like crazy stuff, but black and white. If they're, one wears black socks, one wears white socks. I think there's a lot of similarity between that and a coach telling you when you were in high school not to wear wristbands. <laughs> I do wonder, though, how did it become feminine or you were trying to be pretty by wearing <laughs> – an Under Armour wristband. Like, when did that... I've never seen a female in my life walking down the street trying to be attractive wearing Nike wristbands or Under Armour wristbands or any of those things. How did that become pretty? Well, I don't know. I think tying it all back into what some of the stuff Kyle Richardson was saying, it's just the old school thing of if you were doing anything other than thinking about the football game starting on i don't know when the starting time should be wednesday afternoon at 4 35 and 36 seconds like i'm not sure where that cutoff is but doing anything other than thinking about the football game is bad to old school coaches i guess and yeah and i think that like looking in the mirror for 15 seconds that's 15 seconds that you ain't thinking about what you got to do what does that mean thinking about what you got to do do i <laughs> So you want the, like, what does that mean? Does You're that mean supposed to, to have about? a script. You're supposed to have the script in your head as a 15-year-old player. You're supposed to have the first 12 plays and just on a running loop. All right, the first play, I've got a reach block. How am I going to, okay, I take this step. All right, the second play, we're running a pass play. I've got a vertical. All right, I got to get to my seam and just run the script on a loop in your head over and over. I think that's what you're supposed to start doing according to some old school coaches starting on Wednesday. And, and if you have wristbands on, you will not be able to think in that way. If no, you right, are trying you to look pretty, which 
I mean, O-linemen typically don't do that stuff as much. O-linemen, it does annoy me when an offensive lineman does that. I'm like, dude, you're an offensive lineman. Like, accept who you are and don't try to be... See, why are you trying to put them in a box? Because they're hard nosed. What if he's what if he's all, right? So why does him having wristbands on mean he's not hard nosed now? Have you ever seen an NFL offensive lineman that has like thirty wristbands on his arms and a visor and cool gloves? Like they're the guys that just uh, go to work. Tony man. Hugo did. Tony Hugo tackle for the Colts out of Arkansas back in the day. He was a high draft pick. And ended up being terrible, but he looked cool. He had the dark visor and everything. I I, I rarely see it. I just feel like offensive linemen should just accept it. And skill guys, if you hey, want to Hey, now you pretty, want some wristbands too now. Yeah, and but I was a like tight end defensive end. Yeah, that, that's a lineman. We ran a freaking well, wishbone, man. That's a lineman. I, I moved from that to just wrist tape and gloves. So I guess I did. By some standards, I would have tried to look pretty. But by today's standards, I don't think I did. Let's do this. Let's do this. Does it matter? If players are gathering in front of a mirror, putting on wristbands, is that going to impact Anything. Doesn't matter. Yes or no. I think that it does not matter. But if it becomes something to where if a guy does not have one of his wristbands that he wants and it makes him sad and takes him out of the game and he's not prepared, I think it does matter then. So it could matter. I don't think in and of itself it does matter. But if it throws the guy off to not look the way he wants to look, I think that's a problem. What about you? Do you think it matters? No, I don't think it matters at all. As long as they're not spending in like a crazy amount of time. But I mean, on a Friday before games, between our pregame meal walkthrough, they've got a huge portion of time there that if they're looking in the mirror with wristbands, like um, I don't think that matters one little bit. If they're doing it and it's going to make them late for specialty or something, then that's a problem. But as long as they're doing it at the correct time, like I'm good. To each of their own. We're not saying if you if you believe this, that's totally your thing. There's so many head coaches who have won ten times, well maybe not ten times, have won five times the games that I've won who are all about it, and that's fine. That's not a problem. But it's the way that I see it, and it's because we're young is why we see it that way. When we're old, there's gonna be stuff that we're like about and young coaches that are like 27 when we're 50 are going to be like, that's stupid. That doesn't matter. And they'll be right. It'll happen. It'll happen. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to the Coaches Drive podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. We'll have episode two coming out soon. See you.